When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, on Saturday night, we watched The Trillers, uh, part of the co-main event podcast Patreon Fight Party that went down. Uh, Anderson Silva, of course, beats Tito Ortiz. Vitor Belfort beats Evander Holyfield. We're going to be talking about all that stuff coming up later in the show it was my first trillers event never watched a trillers all the way through so this was in some ways an eye-opening experience for me if i could say anything though if i can say anything in favor of the trillers dare i say in defense of the trillers uh if if you're gonna tell me you're gonna kick off your pay-per-view event at five o'clock in the evening here in the one true time zone and that thing is gonna wrap up by 8 30 hell yeah man Give it to me, it's mine. I will take that all day. In fact, if I'm the UFC, I might I might feel like I could take some pointers from the Trillers in terms of uh, when we kick this thing off and when we wrap it up. And that's including, they got us out of here in three and a half hours, and that is including four lengthy musical performances between fights. I'm driving home from your house. I look at the clock on the dashboard of the minivan. It says 8.30. Man. I started to feel a little giddy, to be honest with you, that, that we watched all this show and we got out of there that early. Well, that might have been the tropical IPAs <laughs> making you feel guilty. I'm giddy. Uh, I think you make a valid point, but also, as I think we'll get into when we get into listener mail, what you're saying is that maybe Triller is successfully playing to a middle-aged audience. The question is whether that's what they want to be doing. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, they're certainly doing it. And via scheduling, I'm into it. Give me a a pay-per-view that starts at 5 o'clock. I'll do that all day long. Uh, Reminder, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you like what you hear right now, you should check us out over at patreon.com slash co-main event. 
Ben Folks and I are there all week with three additional podcasts. If you don't get your MMA fix from this show, you can check us out during the Wednesday live chat where we spend a full hour answering questions from the beloved patrons of the CME. We've also got the Friday Power Hour podcast, an additional hour of curated MMA talk, which features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. We got all that going down. Plus, for the top tier patrons, the Thursday Movie Club, we are in the midst of Hockey Movie Month, trying to get us all fired up for the debut season of our beloved Seattle Kraken. This week, we're going to be watching Young Blood, a hockey classic, which I have never seen before. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we got music this week from our guy, uh, Simeo, a.k.a co-main event podcast listener alfred larson if you like what you hear from him on the show you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash cmeo that's s-e-e-m-i-o in cmeo three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one imagine if anderson silva styled on you so hard that people said the fight was fixed (laughs) (laughs) Plus, Evander Holyfield knocked himself over, throwing a punch and other reminiscences. Reminiscences. Reminiscences? Reminisci? Reminiscences. From our evening with the Trillers. And in round number two, what's at stake between Anthony Smith and Ryan Spawn? Anything? Anything? Something? And in round number three, what does Yoel Romero have left in the tank? We'll find out this weekend at Bellator 266. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Brandon Boyd, who writes, It's been a minute since the fight, but I just read that Darren Till had a completely torn ACL and was still medically cleared to fight Derek Brunson. What kind of actual exam does the UFC medical staff perform, and what kind of physician would let a person with a serious injury continue to fight? At what point does the state medical board step in and question the physician? If McGregor seriously had a stress fracture during the Poirier fight and now Till's ACL tear, that's two significant injuries to two top five fighters in two months that were completely ignored. Uh, So we have seen this, right? Darren Till saying that he came into this fight injured uh, leading up to his loss to Derek Brunson. Frankly, a time-honored tradition, let's say, uh, of MMA fighters and UFC fighters specifically either ignoring or or in some other way hiding significant serious injuries so they can get to the fight, have the fight, get that money. And in some cases, I've heard, try to act like that injury happened during the fight. So maybe they could get the UFC to pay for it, to pay for the surgery. But uh, I don't know, man. That's like, a- it, I, I think Brandon Boyd brings up a good question here, asking, you know, about the uh, the fitness of the pre-fight medical exam and some of the stuff that we hear about after the fact that gets allowed to to happen inside the cage and guys to go into the cage with these kind of injuries. I, I've I've never sat in on a pre-fight physical. I don't know what they're all about. I'm sure that they differ from state to state, but it does seem like we have a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest, hey man, if you don't want the doctor to know about your blown out knee uh, or your hurt back, or maybe the fact that you're going out there in the latter stages of your career to fight with one damn eye, that these things, uh, these things happen in MMA, for lack of a better term. What, what, what's your take here? Well, first of all, the idea of, hey, maybe we're going in there with this injury so that we could say it happened in the fight and get the insurance to cover it, that is 
a, a time-honored MMA tradition. Fighters have been doing that forever. It was even a plot point in Kingdom, and one of the most realistic plot points they had was a fighter going in with a broken hand just so he could get the insurance. The thing you don't want to do if you're doing that, though, is to say after the fight that you went in with the injury. Yeah. Because you, you need to keep up the kayfabe all the way to the uh, all the way to the surgery room on that one if you're going to do that. But as far as what we're doing in the pre-fight medicals, it, the it kind of we have to acknowledge that the motivation for everybody is to keep these fights going. Right. Like, do people really want to find stuff in the medicals, or like, is the pre-fight physical is that just a cover your ass sort of? Like we got to check off the boxes type procedure, or are we actually trying to find out whether people are fit to fight? I think most of the times, especially in a jurisdiction where they do a whole lot of fights, where the UFC does good business, brings in some good money, places like Nevada, they don't really want to find anything that's going to rule out these fights. I mean, how many times have we heard about it happening where somebody just couldn't pass the the pre-fight physical? It almost never happens. If you if you can walk in the door. You're usually fine. And I've heard all kinds of stories about things fighters have done to trick their way through that process. And usually it's stuff like, I remember hearing from a fighter going in with a cut that he had suffered fairly recently in training, like an accidental cut over his eye or something, and went to a beauty parlor to get a professional makeup job done on it to hide the cut that they had glued shut, essentially. And... But then also like going through the pre-fight medicals and being like, oh, they didn't even really look that closely. Like we probably didn't need to spend that money on the professional makeup job. We probably could have just got the makeup at CVS ourselves and done it in the hotel room and totally been fine. But with something like a knee, it's also like, what do we really expect that they're going to be in there doing? Like we're not going to be looking at, they're not going to be like taking an MRI of all the guy's joints beforehand. You know, we'll ask for MRI of the brain stuff and even then only in specific like situations and at specific ages but i don't know how much we can really expect them to be doing such a thorough test that they could tell this guy's acl is torn yeah. and he but i also just think that 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 impetus isn't there there's no reason why they want to find that stuff out everybody wants to keep the show moving forward and as long as you can give them some kind of plausible deniability and so they can say, hey, we looked, he seemed fine to us, he must have put one over on us, then they're fine with it. The thing that I I guess shows why this never changes is that this is not uncommon to hear a fighter show up afterwards or one of his coaches show up and be like, look, we had this terrible injury going in. But nobody then turns around to the athletic commission and says, how did you allow him to fight? Like, it, We're just used to this as this is how business is done. And so there's no pressure on anybody to do a better job of it. Yeah. And in some cases here, you know, maybe like in the case of a, of a blown out knee or a torn ACL uh, for Darren Till, it sounds as though we are relying on the fighters or asking the fighters to self-report uh, yeah. in some ways. Like Darren Till is going to walk into his pre-fight medical and be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm good to go. I just have a completely torn ACL in one of my knees. That's all. Uh, and that clearly is a fallible system because the the people that have the most uh financial stressors on them to make sure that the fight actually happens are indeed the fighters because like yeah. you can imagine a guy like Darren Till uh you know he's counting on these paydays man at least the show money maybe the win money in some cases 
from what we've heard from a lot of different fighters. So these guys aren't going to roll into their own uh, medical exams and in Dan- Daniel Cormier's words, disqualify themselves from competition, right? They're going to yes. they're going to do everything they can to, to make it to the fight and then kind of sort out the consequences later. So it just seems like a very strange uh, way to do it. Although Brandon Boyd kind of makes a good point here that like with McGregor's uh, claims that he had a stress fracture headed into the Poirier fight and now Darren Till, that's two pretty high profile guys reporting two pretty significant injuries headed into these fights. So uh, something with the screening process is is not working in the most optimal way. But again, who wants the screening process to catch this stuff? Right. Like, I don't, I, even if fans say that they want that, I don't know if they really do. I don't know if they would like a reality in which we're actually finding out how badly hurt some of these guys are before the fights and the fights aren't going forward. I don't know if the media really wants it because especially, you know, a lot of people had significant stuff on the line and having Conor McGregor have a big fight that draws a lot of attention. And so everybody has an incentive to see these fights go on. Everybody uh, from the fighters all the way down. And so I I just don't know if that's that, that push is there for anybody to, to do a better job of this kind of stuff. And I also think though, that like at some point you wonder, okay, somebody like Darren Till, is he doing himself any favors with this? Like, even if he's saying, look, I need the show money. I can't have done this training camp for nothing. Or I don't want the UFC to be mad at me. If I say like, hey, I'm supposed to be the main event and I'm pulling out with a, a torn ACL. Maybe they'll hold it against me. Maybe, But then you go in there and you fight a guy like Derek Brunson with no ACL. Doesn't go great for you. And we probably should have known in advance that it wouldn't go great if, if that's what the situation was going in. And then where are you? Yeah. Because as we've seen, the UFC, as much as it likes people to step up and fight, it doesn't necessarily remember that on the back end. It doesn't give you a whole lot of credit or a whole lot of leeway if they go, well, hey, look, man, you're coming up for a new contract. You haven't won fights lately. And you're going, hey, remember when I stepped up for you when I had a torn ACL and kept your main event together? And they're going, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? Like that stuff just does not get repaid the way fighters sometimes think it will. All right, we got two questions here about uh, the general ambiance of the Trillers, so we can take them one at a time. This one from Pat Milder over on Patreon. He writes, well, I watched about 30 minutes of Triller for the first time, and the stream I watched had the Trump, Masvidal, JDS commentary. I feel gross. Thanks for bringing me into this CME community. Oh, okay. So it's it's on us now. Yeah. Gonna, it's on us. Going to blame us. Uh, okay. The former president of the United States stopped by the Trillers. Actually, a pretty big day all the way around uh, for Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, because I saw on the internet that before jumping on the G5 and flying down there to take part in the uh, alternate commentary stream for the trillers he had given a pay-per-view speech for a cult in uh korea i believe wait what say that just say those words again in that order he did a speech that was like on a pay-per-view stream i think and it was for some manner of like super church in korea but i'm pretty sure that the korean church is kind of regarded as a cult what the fuck so he did that and then he went and sat there with uh, Jorge Masvidal and uh, Junior Dos Santos and everybody else and called everybody great patriots and terrific warriors or whatever it was that he said during the uh, during the Triller broadcast. 
Um, it's amazing to me that there are still a significant number of people in this country that are like, yeah, I think that guy would probably make a good president again, you know, judging by everything that we saw from him the first time around. And then the speech to the Korean cult and now spending the 20th anniversary of September 11th, doing alternate commentary on this celebrity boxing event. Yeah, that's still my guy. I will definitely vote for him. Wow. Um, I just, I only saw a couple minutes of it when they the regular broadcast brought in Trump basically or pivoted to the, the Trump alternate broadcast. And even those few seconds was too much. It was just, I, I don't know. I don't know who that's for. I don't know who that's appealing to. I don't know how it could possibly be profitable for Triller to pay a bunch of money to Donald Trump just because you think like, okay, who's going to buy this now that wasn't going to before. I, I don't see it. But then again, there's, there's a lot of shit that has happened in the last few years that I did not see the appeal of. Uh, also interesting to note that the uh, primary play-by-play commentary track on the Trillers featured 50 Cent. Yeah. So the 45th president of the United States, and that's a kind of fa- playing second fiddle to 50 Cent. We were like, we'll put 50 Cent on the A team. And then the B team, if you want to hear it, if you want to pay the extra money to hear it, will be Donald Trump, Jorge Masvidal, Junior Dos Santos, and a couple other guys. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up who is that for? Who is who is the inclusion of Donald Trump marketed toward? Because here is this next question from Dinwiddie, okay. who writes, Does Triller even know who's watching? Back when Jacob Joseph Paul was headlining events against various other YouTube celebrities, we heard a lot about this younger generation of fans and how those teens would magically become interested in boxing and so on and so forth. But this latest event was clearly made with the old heads in mind. Anderson versus Tito and Vitor versus Holyfield. That's some mid-90s shit, my friends. And yet, they're still making us sit through long musical performances from people I feel like I should ask my 15-year-old cousin about. Plus, Trump, who isn't exactly king of the youth. Who is Triller's audience? Is there an audience? What is even happening? Okay. What this question presupposes is that Triller has some sort of master plan (laughs) that it is playing to and not just trying to come up with wacky shit one idea at a time which i think is what triller is actually doing and probably losing a ton of fucking money which i think triller is also doing but it is it does make a good point about who do you imagine is your audience because i agree that that's We started out at that point being like, YouTube influencers will bring in their audience, which is not right now a boxing pay-per-view audience, but could become one. And maybe this is the wave of the future. And people got kind of excited about that. But that's not what we were seeing here. You, You had to know something about boxing to even know who Evander Holyfield was and why it was a bad idea for him to be there. And... Like a lot of the stuff that they're doing, you it, you can rightfully wonder, just like with the 5 p.m. start time on Saturday, all the, the Trump commentary, all this stuff. Like, have they changed their minds about who the audience is? I think mostly they like we are assuming that there is too much of a plan. Like we're assuming that there is like a, a real detailed analysis here. And I don't really think that there is. I think that Triller is just trying to put together a show, keep together a show, come up with something 
that could generate attention and publicity and kind of doing that. But I don't know if that translates to pay-per-view buys at all. It's also possible that Triller started to do some of the math and been like, okay, if we were playing to this younger audience, they're more likely to know how to illegally stream our pay-per-views. Maybe if we get some of these old heads that remember that remember the mid-90s, that lived through that shit, maybe they assume like, well, the only way to watch is to buy it fair and square. And maybe that's they think that that's a better play. But again, I I would say don't assume intelligence on this one. So you're telling me that they're just out there by the seat of their pants, hooker by crook, putting together these fight cards. And that would make a little bit of sense because you had yourself a four fight fight card for this Triller's pay-per-view. The first fight was David Hay against a guy who had formerly been his sparring partner. And in the lead up to the fight, they had tried to uh, build up some manner of rivalry between these two guys that the sparring partner, who I believe his name was Joe Fournier, was going to go out there and show David Hay a thing or two and how much he had uh, progressed and improved and all this other different stuff. The second fight, which was actually probably the best boxing match of the night between a couple of guys whose names I didn't know then and don't know now, so I can't tell you. Uh, and then after that was the co-main event between Anderson Silva and Tito Ortiz, who frankly are famous to us because we've been doing this podcast for going on a decade, but almost no one else in the world knows who those guys are unless you were at, at least a casual MMA fan in the late 90s or early 2000s. So there's just no way to market that particular fight to anything besides the old heads as Dinwiddie refers to it. And then your main event, Vitor, who is essentially the same, right? He's in the same boat as Anderson Silva and Tito Ortiz. And Evander Holyfield, who was legitimately like a something of a cultural phenomenon back during those same years. Not necessarily to the level of or on the order of a Mike Tyson, but was like right there. He was like one of yeah. boxing's big stars during uh, the, the kind of twilight of that heavyweight golden era of, of the 90s and, and early 2000s. So like had a competing video game to Mike Tyson's. So, yeah. And so, yeah, it does seem like you're booking these with a slightly older clientele in mind. And we don't we don't know if, if Triller has a plan or like a marketing uh, strategy or if we will ever find out a reliable pay-per-view buy number for these pay-per-views. So I think the ultimate question is or the ultimate answer to this question is. We have no idea. We have no yeah. idea. But again, the the Trump commentary part, according to the TMZ report, right, that deal came together around Labor Day. So that was not very long before the fight. That wasn't something like a long-term plan that you had been working on. That spacks to me of we're just trying to think of some stuff that will create attention and right. we're willing to pay for that, it, it, whether or not that – creates a return on the investment for us. And that is the entire question for me with Triller is how long can you continue to burn money like this? And if it turns out that you can continue to burn it for a long time, hmm, what's really going on? Because it's impossible to see this stuff and think, oh yeah, like this is all money well spent on the musical acts, the the what you're paying for commentators and fighters and everything. You're you're definitely making that back several times over. No, you're not. There's just no way. Ain't no way. And the Trump thing didn't come together until after they moved the pay-per-view to Florida. So it was almost like they were like, we're in Florida. You know who else lives in Florida? Yeah, but then he's going to insist on a private jet anyway. Like, <laughs> that doesn't really do you much good. Just a 15-minute 
round trip flight over there to uh, the Seminole Casino. All right, next next question this week comes to us from Tom Hughes over on Patreon. He writes, apparently Jessica Andrade was posting on OnlyFans, which helped her pay off her car and rent, etc. I have no issue with her using OnlyFans, but surely this is yet another blow against any claim of the UFC paying their fighters well. Former champions shouldn't have to have side hustles. Uh, please discourse. Yeah, I saw this This also that Jessica Andrade was undeterred by the pirates who had apparently been pirating her OnlyFans content and putting it out there on the internet for free. But again, you're right, man. Like, And she is certainly not alone. There are several MMA fighters who, at least at one time, or are still involved with OnlyFans. Uh, you at one time were monitoring this situation very closely, as I understand, uh, for The Athletic, or at least for your own... Uh, endeavors what are you uh, saying what are you suggesting nothing i'm not implying what are you anything. accusing me of i'm not Im- implying anything i'm just saying that maybe you consider yourself one of those fans uh from <laughs> only fans <laughs> okay i'm gonna do this with my hands to denote the seriousness of this what i'm about to say and then i'm gonna re- remove my glasses and use them to point at the camera to further drive home the point i'm about to make here chad Listen to me, motherfuckers. I know we can have these debate about the ethics of illegally streaming a UFC pay-per-view. You know, are you are you screwing over the fighters who are getting a cut of it? Is it okay because the UFC is underpaying the fighters anyway, and so few of them are getting a cut of it? Uh, the UFC, if they can't stop you, is it all well and good? Should you never ever pay for UFC content at all? Is it totally fine? Whatever. We can have those arguments. But if you are illegally viewing without paying for it, some fighter's only fans page. Jessica Andrade says, you know what? I'm going to get naked for you guys just for the money. And you know that that's the deal and you are not paying the money, but you're still looking at the nakeds. Fuck you, man. Fuck you. But don't do that shit. There is, that is indefensible. You can defend yourself maybe on, on illegally streaming pay-per-views from whoever and whatever. But if a fighter is out there stripping down to make that bread god damn it if you want to see it you pay for that shit man there's no gray area here don't fuck around on this you want to see Jessica Andrade nude you want to dance you got to pay the band god damn it wow okay and impassioned here, impassioned here endeth plea. the rant impassioned yeah. plea there by Ben Folks. all right we're gonna do one more uh this one has a couple layers to it because it comes to us from Gabe Walker who you may recognize as uh, Sylvester Stallone's character from Cliffhanger. Okay. Gabe okay. Walker writes, does the Triller business model present a basis for the most plausible Rocky sequel since Rocky IV? Uh, I feel like Gabe Walker is pitching us a movie here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I feel like I'm buying that uh, Rocky gets called out by one of these celebrities, one of these YouTube influencers for a pay-per-view event and he's got no choice but to hang up the red blazer that he wears to his restaurant uh (laughs) on the weekends and come out of retirement and and give this young guy the what for i mean isn't that kind of the plot of the one where he fought antonio tarver right like and then like they didn't seem to mind that it was implausible for the pay-per-view market that existed then i agree it's much more plausible now. One might even say disappointingly plausible. Like maybe 
we have those continuing Rocky franchise movies to blame for how we ended up here. Maybe this is life imitating art. They 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 got us to believe in something like this was not only possible but not a terrible idea. And then that that softened up the audience's expectations so that when a fifty eight year old Evangel Holyfield shows up on the thrillers, they go, Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean in Rocky Balboa, you're talking about a guy who vacated the heavyweight title in order to travel over to Moscow to avenge uh, the death of Apollo Creed in his fight mm-hmm. against uh, Ivan Drago. So if you're telling me that this guy could easily be trolled by a Jacob Joseph Paul type to go straight from the restaurant to the ring, I would believe it, man. I would believe it. It sounds It sounds like something he would do, frankly. I mean, you can already imagine a scene where somebody's like, hey, this guy's calling you out on this thing you never heard of. And you see him got to, like, take his glasses out of his pocket to put them on to look at somebody's phone and doing the const- like the, the regular dad thing, you know, where, like, they hand him the phone to look at the video. And he's like, who's this? Is this a friend of yours? Did you, who, who, did you make this? What am I looking at? And you're just like, just give it back. Just give me the phone back. All right, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. going to spare some time here at least for the top two attractions on the fight card of this thriller event we're going to start with anderson silva's defeat of tito ortiz a minute and 22 seconds into the first of what would have been i believe eight two-minute rounds at the age of 46 and 150 days anderson silva somehow now positioning himself as perhaps the feel-good story in all of combat sports. I don't know where you want to start with this one, man, except that, uh, as I said during the opener, Anderson Silva kind of clowned on Tito Ortiz so hard that people were basically accusing Tito Ortiz for taking a dive, Uh, which has got to just be insult to injury here. If you are a proud fighter like Tito Ortiz, who wakes up with his face in the canvas after getting absolutely knocked into the black lands by Anderson Silva in less than a minute and 30 seconds here. Yeah. Uh, The fix claims we ought to be used to it by now, right? That every time there's some kind of big high profile fight, and especially if it's people who maybe don't normally watch the fights, they watch it, they see something happen. They think, okay, that had to be fixed. They think it's way easier and more common to fix a fight than it really is. Here, I think the fixed claims came mostly from people who went, why would Tito Ortiz throw three straight left hooks when he wasn't landing any of them? That must be fixed instead of just maybe because he's not that good at boxing. Maybe maybe it could be that simple. Maybe Anderson Silva is wondering, why is this guy still trying to hook me when he isn't even coming close to touching me, and then finally I'm just going to crack him with a right hand right across the jaw and put him to sleep. But I quote my oldest daughter, who was in the house while we were having our CME watch party for this, asking me later, 
Why were you guys yelling? Why were you guys yelling so much? Well, because Anderson Silva slept Tito Ortiz, who had previously claimed, oh, you know, he's just going to go out there and do his Bruce Lee Wing Chun bullshit, you know, and I'm going to box him up. And then Anderson Silva knocks him out cold and shouts out Bruce Lee and Wing Chun. I mean, how do you not yell at the TV over some shit like that, Chad? Yo, you have to. You have to. Uh, the internet never saw a fight that wasn't fixed, as far okay, as I yeah. can tell. They they are all fixed, according uh, to the internet. But this seemed to me like just Anderson Silva sort of doing the thing that we have seen him do throughout his career, frankly, in the UFC, where, uh, okay, he will stand there for a while and let you do the thing that you came to do while his mental computer gets a bead on it. And then once he's got you figured out, he is going to fire back with like one incredibly hard counter strike that will separate you from your senses. And that was pretty much exactly what he did against Tito Ortiz. Not even I thought it would be as quick or as ugly as this, um, as it actually turned out to be, but it was indeed. And my God, man, this, this associated press still photograph of Tito Ortiz laying nose first on the canvas it might turn out to be the iconic image of Tito Ortiz's fight career. And that, that seems unfair, but also fitting somehow. But for me, the flip side is I definitely did not expect that Anderson Silva's boxing career would be a feel good piece of driftwood to cling on to in the roiling sea of combat sports in the year 2021. But here we are. Yeah. Because, you know, when he boxed Chavez, everybody was like, well, hey, you know, who knows what we're actually doing here. But if he's getting a payday, good for him. And then, you know, he wins that fight. Then he comes out here, knocks Tito Ortiz out cold, gets himself another payday. And we're going, you know what? Good for you, Anderson Silva. The UFC was ready to just start shoveling dirt on you. You know, he went out there and he lost that last fight uh, to Uriah Hall and... Dana White showed up at the post-fight press conference afterwards and was like, I feel bad for making that fight. Like, uh, that was awful. Never should have put the guy in there. Still didn't want him to fight. Was like, Anderson Silva should never fight again. Didn't want it. Said we weren't going to give him a fight, but didn't want to let him out of his contract at first until they started to put a little pressure on it. And finally said, okay, fine. Like, we're not going to use him. Like, we'll, we'll let him out of his contract. And then he goes over there and he's having himself a time in boxing. You know, he's making money. He's winning fights. He's getting to do some Anderson Silva shit still. Yeah. And it's like the UFC was ready to just like, you know, put him on the funeral pyre and strike a match. And he's showing like, oh, no, if you know the right stuff to do with him, you can not only get people interested, but he can still do some stuff. He can he can physically still bring it. And it, I, it feels to me like this is the sort of ending. I mean, we're not at the end yet. I, maybe I shouldn't say it, but this is the sort of. Um, epilogue that fighters usually don't get and the the one that they always seem to be chasing and that we seem to we keep telling them that they're not going to get and so they should probably just quit while they're behind and Anderson Silva is actually getting it and like that that feels good to see yeah he seems like one of the guys who uh deserves it that he deserves sort of a a positive coda, if you will, or a positive afterward to his to his UFC career. And again, like you said, maybe we shouldn't speak too soon here because we still don't know how this thing is going to end. But like, you know, if he continues to play it smart and doesn't get 
doesn't overextend himself, I guess, in terms of competition. It seems like maybe Anderson Silva could have a few more of these fights and, and then uh, coast off into retirement a lot richer and perhaps on a much more positive note than he would have had if he had just walked away in the immediate aftermath of the of his last UFC fight. Uh, and when I say he deserves it, like he seems like a genuinely nice person. Did you see this video from Tito Ortiz that was like the heartwarming follow-up to their to their fight where uh, the airline company apparently made a mistake with Tito's tickets or like had his girlfriend seated back in coach and Anderson Silva, at least to hear Tito Ortiz tell it, gave up his own first class ticket like switched with tito's girlfriend so he anderson silva went to sit in the back of the plane and she came up to sit by tito uh which is obviously a nice story and makes me wonder wait a second did triller have anderson silva and tito ortiz booked to sit next to each other on the plane yeah. ride home and did anderson say you know what i would rather sit and coach man <laughs> but it still makes him sound nice uh i guess that, like the question the burning question is what you do next with Anderson Silva, and maybe to that end, we segue here. We talk a little bit about Vitor Belfort versus Evander Holyfield, uh, a fight that obviously came together at kind of the last minute after Oscar De, Oscar De La Hoya had to bow out with a, a bout of COVID-19. Uh, there were concerns all week leading up to the fight that perhaps Evander Holyfield shouldn't be licensed. The state of California wouldn't license him. That's why we had to move the event from California to Florida. And those concerns certainly didn't dissipate once the actual fight started because and Evander Holyfield did not necessarily look like he deserved to be there, knocked himself down, throwing a punch at one point, uh, which is not something you typically see a an elite level former champion professional boxer do. And then uh, I feel like we got kind of a merciful stoppage in this yeah. thing. Vitor kind of clipped him with an uppercut at one point, knocked him down, and then Holyfield got back up and and Vitor continued to batter him and the referee had kind of seen enough and stopped it before anybody uh, really got hurt, I think, to his credit. Of course, that didn't stop Holyfield from jumping out there and saying he thought it was a bad stoppage, uh, but nobody else did. Nobody else in the world thought it was a bad stoppage. And uh, at least we got through it. It's seemingly without anybody suffering any any further damage. Yeah, I mean... We talked a little about this beforehand, how it seemed like here was a situation where the Florida State Boxing Commission was just going to rubber stamp this shit, was not really that concerned with trying to determine whether Holyfield should be in there. Triller's obviously not concerned. They're just trying to keep the fight together, and if it creates enough controversy that maybe more people buy it, then you know they, they're going to say that that's good news for them too. It seemed like our referee here was maybe the only person involved who actually gave a shit about fighter well-being and fighter health and safety because he he was not wrong to stop that fight. Holyfield can complain about it. And honestly, maybe that is part of the, the mercy that we're giving him is not making something bad happen to him and, and letting him say like, Oh, Hey, I wasn't hurt. Like I, uh, I was still in there. I was still capable of fighting, but Fell down throwing a punch, got dropped by that uppercut, and then was just not doing anything. Just did not look like he was capable of doing anything except covering up and trying not to get hurt too bad. Meanwhile, Vitor still looked pretty sharp, man. Like, we we always knew Vitor still had those hands. He's looking in good shape these days, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're all reading your mail. And, you know, he, he looked like he was capable of dealing out some punishment there to Holyfield. And after a few seconds of this one, you'd seen all that you need to see. He's not going to magically turn into somebody else, uh, you know, after getting knocked down twice. Like that, he he was not 
fit to be in there. We knew that beforehand. We could look at it and see that that was the case. It very quickly proved to be the case in the fight. The referee was the one person who gave enough of a shit to to say so, even if it meant he was going to take some heat for it. Then after it's over, Vitor Belfort gets on the mic and does the thing that you do on the mic in 2021, and that is challenged Jake Paul to a boxing match. This one started out at, what, $25 million, winner take all? But then, and this was my favorite part, actually, some guy who seemed like maybe he was an executive for Triller, but also maybe like he had had a couple, three, four, five, six soda pops was also (laughs) there. He grabs the mic and shouts, no, no, $30 million. Winner take all against Jake Paul. Uh, so so Vitor's got the offer on the table for a fight that we assume absolutely cannot happen since Jake Paul has already taken his traveling circus over to Showtime and is fighting under their auspices. Although I guess we don't know uh, what Triller's involvement now with Vitor Belfort is. I believe he also called out Canelo Alvarez afterward, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems to me, man, like the fight to make is right there staring us in the face. It's Anderson Silva and Vitor Belfort in a boxing match, right? At a at a weight that suits both of them. Uh, because that is A, possible, and B, seems like something that all of the people who tuned in to watch this pay-per-view would probably tune in to watch again. Yeah, I think Anderson has already said or suggested that he is not crazy about that idea. That he feels like his business with Vitor is settled. Of course, why wouldn't he? Because yeah. he got a fantastic highlight real knockout out of it so what else still wearing the silhouette of it on his uh, (laughs) t-shirt i mean i would too i would too i don't i don't blame him for that one bit and so it seems like yeah he's going why do i want to give vitor a chance to get one back against me kind of tito and chuck style uh when if i don't have to you're right though that it might become a matter of necessity if we're looking around for what we're going to do next and the other options are lined up somewhere else. You, you can't get those kind of fights you want. It's not like Jake Paul's going to hear you go $25 million and be like, no, nah, I'm not interested in talking with Showtime about how we might make that happen. And then you say, no, fuck it, $30 million, where it seems like you were maybe being a little impulsive in the moment and then go, okay, well, now, now because of that very real and sincere offer, like now I'm absolutely interested. Like, eh, hard to imagine that. Uh, and yet, like... Vitor seems like one of those people where maybe he could actually turn out to have a, a little bit of a, a boxing career going here, like if, either in Triller or somewhere else. Like maybe, uh, I don't know what his contract situation is with Triller, but maybe Showtime, who is over there being increasingly, finding themselves increasingly interested in this business, is going like, okay, could Vitor be someone to keep an eye on, depending where we have him fight and what the drug testing situation is. Yeah. Again, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, if he wants to fight Jake Paul, he'd probably be well served to go ahead and Photoshop himself into uh, a mid-90s team photo of the Missouri Tigers wrestling team. But I don't know. <laughs> we'll just have to. I think we could we could convince Jake Paul that that Vitor was on the Missouri Tigers wrestling team, right? Yeah. Uh, while we're uh, talking he, was like, about... he was like 172, man. You didn't, uh, you, yeah, he, he did it totally. While we're talking about the Paul brothers, I, I meant to mention this earlier, but just as an additional sad addendum to Tito Ortiz's loss to Anderson Silva, he was on the internet trying to call out Logan Paul afterward, oh, which is like, man, you are Tito Ortiz. Act like it. I know that you suffered a loss to uh, Anderson Silva in a boxing match, but don't end this thing. Don't end the proud career of Tito Ortiz out here on the internet trying to pick a fight with Logan Paul, man. The lesser of the two Pauls. 
Mm. That's just sad. Borderline, are you fucking kidding me there? Uh, Which is as good an entrance as we're going to get to our actual are you fucking kidding me this week. Uh, If you have ever listened to the show before and have been uh, paying attention to the news over the last 24 hours, you probably know what is coming up on are you fucking kidding me? People on the Twitter machine last night were telling me, basically, here's your are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, yes, you are correct. Uh, Here is our joint are you fucking kidding me, Ben? Conor McGregor shows up at the Video Music Awards last night and somehow gets himself into a physical altercation with Machine Gun Kelly on the red carpet, pushing, shoving. Conor McGregor throws a drink at one point. Are you fucking kidding me? I am in some ways reminded of... uh, one of the things that we have said about Dana White in the past, and that is like, if you keep going to all these different situations and everyone around you is a scumbag, you come out of all these different relationships being like, oh, this guy's a scumbag. That guy's a scumbag. This guy over here is a scumbag. Uh, maybe we start to look for the common denominator in all of these relationships. Now it strikes me maybe the same thing is true of Conor McGregor. Uh, basically, if you are surrounded by drama and trouble and ridiculousness, Every single place that you go, maybe it's time to start uh, trying to figure out what what is the uh, what's the connection there. What is the the constant? What's the same thing in all of these situations where somehow you end up fighting a guy uh, with pearls stuck all over his damn face on the red carpet of the <laughs> Video Music Awards? If you are Conor McGregor, now I want to say two things here. One, the enduring image of this is going to be this photo that I'm sure at this point we've all seen where there's a bunch of people in between him. Conor McGregor in his pink suit is has an outstretched fist toward the face of Machine Gun Kelly, who is, meanwhile, at least like a foot and a half away from that fist, in no danger, with no visible concern, looking at Conor McGregor with a face that says, bro, are you okay? Like, is, can we get you something? Do you need some help? Like, talk to us about what this is really about. And that that's kind of a like a sad place for Conor McGregor, once an actual superstar, to find himself at. Where people yeah. are looking at him. And he's, he's trying to threaten violence, his world, his whole thing. And the skinny rapper is looking at him with something between scorn and pity. Number two. I want to point out. Oh, wow. That was just number one. Okay. That was just number one. Okay. Number two. I want to point out this detail from the TMZ story as brought to my attention by friend of the podcast, Jessica Napik. Uh, Quote from the TMZ story on this fracas. Their respective teams broke it up before things got really ugly and Connor was given his walking cane back. Something that had fallen to the ground during the scuffle. Are you fucking kidding me, bro? (laughs) You can't even walk totally under your own power. You're out here with a cane trying to start some shit, throw some drinks, and you lose your cane during the scuffle. Somebody has to go pick up Connor's cane, bring it back to him. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You fucking kidding me? Uh, You know what is a red flag to me is if TMZ has like a nickname for you that they employ freely in their stories. They have started calling Connor McGregor now just CMG. Which mm. I'm just like, 
once TMZ is comfortable enough with you to just go with like a colloquial nickname, you're in trouble, man. You've been fucking up and you need to straighten that shit out. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Chad, the UFC taking the rare weekend off, coming back here September 18th, back at the Apex. The main event of this UFC fight night, we're looking at a pair of light heavyweight fights at the top of the card. Headline, Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spawn. Now, so far, the the main narrative around this fight that I've seen is Ryan Spawn seemingly trying to work himself up uh, for, like, making it some kind of grudge match against Anthony Smith, who is taking a LOL bro, what's your problem approach to the whole thing. That sounds right. You know, as a co-main event, we got Ion Kudalaba versus Devin Clark. But you're looking at this card, it has the feel of a real JSF kind of night. Yeah. It's just some fights. But you're also looking at, you know, uh, an interesting time for the light heavyweight division where you got Yanni Blackjacks as your champion. Doesn't look like... John Jones is coming home anytime soon. Everybody, I think, senses a new opportunity in that in that environment. And you have Anthony Smith hanging on to a number six ranking. You have Ryan Spahn sitting at 11. You're going to fight here. And it seems to me that if we're trying to des- uh, decide what they are fighting for here, it doesn't seem like anybody's in a position where they're going to be clamoring for a title shot with a win. But is this a fight where Ryan Spahn is fighting to become the new Anthony Smith? Wow. Uh... I'm not sure that I grasp all of the implications of that, but I think Ryan Spawn is, is, you know, has himself kind of like a litmus test fight here against Anthony Smith. He's five and one overall in the UFC and he's coming off uh first round TKO of Misha Sirkunov in March of this year. Previous to that, he had suffered his, his first loss in the UFC and frankly, his first loss in a long damn time to Johnny Walker back in September of, of 2020. Uh, he won a performance of the night, award for his his win over Sirkinov and you'd think if he can do you know something impressive against Anthony Smith that in some ways not only does he put a little bit more distance between himself and that Johnny Walker loss but maybe that loss starts to look like the aberration and Ryan Spahn starts to look like uh the kind of guy who can be a contender at light heavyweight which as you just mentioned has new meaning in and of itself now that we're not all just competing into who's going to lose to John Jones sweepstakes uh you've got a a, a champion uh, and Yanni Blackjacks, who has been very good, but still is worlds away from looking as as unbeatable as John Jones. So you'd think all these guys have new life and a fresh future in this division. So it seems like a big one in some ways uh, to Ryan for Ryan Spawn, but also seems like one if you were gonna give it a miss and like catch up with him later, I wouldn't blame you because as you said, it's 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 a pretty low profile event coming up this weekend. Well, I mean, one of the things that makes me think of the comparison between Ryan Spahn and Anthony Smith is that some early career struggles, because you look at the first, you know, 15 pro fights for Ryan Spahn, and it's like, you know, he's fighting on the regional circuit, uh, had a run in uh, like Legacy, LFA, the the Contender Series, uh, you know, lost his first time out in the Contender Series, got knocked out and came back later, uh, got him another chance at the Contender Series. He won and then got into the UFC off of that. But it's like after his first 15 pro fights, he's 10 and 5. You know, looking kind of solidly middle of the pack. 
but now has reeled off, or, or before, you know, once he got into the UFC, UFC after the LFA and Contender Series run, uh, has reeled it off a bunch in a row, then he loses that fight to Johnny Walker, but comes back with a win over Mirza Sirkanov, which might be the first really good fighter that he's beaten. And now you get put in a fight against Anthony Smith. Here's an opportunity to show, okay, maybe... I stumbled out the blocks early on, but it did not define me as a fighter, and I'm much better now, and uh, now that I've got some experience and, and got my legs under me, I can be a real player in this division. But Anthony Smith feels like the guy you have to be in order to prove that. Yeah, And I, I'm sure Anthony Smith would not like to think of himself in a, what is essentially a gatekeeper role, but... He's in the situation where, you know, we've already seen him fight for a title when it was John Jones. We've seen him have had his ups and downs and honestly take a lot of punishment, like put a lot of clicks on the odometer. And he has a couple wins in a row, but is trying to remind people like, hey, you, you were wrong about me before. Well, you wrote me off before and it turned out that I, I still had some life in me. Maybe it could be true again, but if you lose to a guy like Ryan Spawn, then it seems like, well, you you have entered the phase where they are making the name for the new guy based on you. Yeah. And what you want, if you're Anthony Smith, is to be the guy who keeps turning those those people away, right? You want to be the guy who can shake your finger in the camera and basically say, not so fast. You yeah. Know, I'm not going to be yet. your stepping stone guy. And as you said, he's off to a two-fight win streak here after a couple of back-to-back losses and and... You know, who's to say how it would go uh, if Anthony Smith was to put a run together um, and get a shot at uh, at Jan Blahovich uh, for the title? Like, as you said, obviously, 50 or some professional fights for Anthony Smith. So even though he's only 33 years of old age, chronologically, he's got a lot of wear and tear uh on the body just just from that lengthy career but at the same time aside from alexander rockich in uh, his last loss back in august of 2020 he's still even recently only lost to glover Teixeira and john jones and tiago santos a bunch of guys who were doing it at the highest level glover Teixeira about to fight for the title and of course john jones the champion at the time and and the greatest champion the division has ever known the one of the greatest champions in the history of the sport so like uh, I don't know that any of us in the peanut gallery are looking around thinking Anthony Smith is about to be the champion. But if you were Anthony Smith and you thought that, I couldn't really fault you because here you got your two-fight win streak. You got a champion who seems like uh, anyone who goes up against him is probably a live dog. And, and I'm sure if you were in the camp or you are Anthony Smith, you're thinking one more run, man. One more ride at this thing before it's all said and done. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people at 205 who are feeling that way. You're looking around and being like, Looking over both shoulders, I mean, like, John Jones isn't coming back? Are we sure? He's not here? Like, okay, now's the time. Make a break for it. Yeah. Put together a few wins, say the right things, make the right moves, and who knows? It's like a big game of kick the can. Looking around, make sure nobody's around, going to run up and kick the can real quick. Set everybody free. Uh, anything else that, like, strikes your fancy at all on this fight card? I said we got Joaquin Buckley down there, uh, as the curtain jerker on the main card, we were just lamenting the other day that, uh, you know, he's one of these guys who pulls off the uh, the highlight reel finish, the spinning kick knockout of Impa Kasangane back in October of 2020. Uh, it kind of spoiled his momentum when he lost to Alicio de Chirico uh, in January of this year. But, like, he's still on the main card. You got him slated as the first fight. It might be an opportunity for him to remind everybody who he is. Uh you know, aside from that, there's just, there's not a ton of stuff happening here. I have to be perfectly honest. 
I'm going to say this to you right now. This seems like the kind of fight card where the way you get yourself interested in is to take out 20 bucks you never want to see again from your wallet okay. spread it around with some bets. Can I get you to commit here and now that on this week's CME Power Hour, we will bring back $20 you never want to see again just for this fight card? I guess so. I don't have anything else to do, so we might as well. Uh so if you want to find out how those bets go, you got to go over to patreon.com slash co-main event. Join us for the Friday Power Hour, during which we will reveal our bets for the Saturday fight card. Uh, all of our bets, by the way, stone cold, lead pipe locks, take them to the yeah. bank. Our, our winning percentage, astronomical, I think is yeah. the only way to describe it. That's the only I word that I can even think of that would apply. I haven't actually done the math on what our winning percentage is, but I assume it's really good. Yeah, astronomical. You know? feels good that's gonna do it for round number two we'll be right back with round number three Ben, fingers crossed, knock on wood, that we will get to see the Bellator debut of Yoel Romero this weekend, Bellator 266. He's slated to take on Phil Davis. Yoel Romero, of course, hasn't been in action since March of 2020 when he lost to Israel Adesanya in their very strange middleweight title bout back at UFC 248. He's currently just 1-4 in in his last five fights and riding a three-fight losing streak. There have been some questions about what his future would even be in Bellator after uh, he had to be scratched from his original fight is as part of the uh, light heavyweight tournament. But now here he is taking on Phil Davis in the main event of what is Bellator's first event of this month. Bellator taking kind of an anti-UFC approach here down the stretch at the end of this year. They've only got a few fight cards on the books, but uh, they've got some uh, notable stuff scheduled for each of those events. So sort of like the the opposite approach to what the big fellows are doing. What are your hopes and dreams, Ben, of seeing the ageless wonder, the 44-year-old Yoel Romero out there in the cage with Phil Davis in Bellator this weekend? You know, you know how some fighters, we, whenever we go and look at their Wikipedia page or their record or something, we are amazed that how are they not 10 years older than they actually are just because it feels like we've been watching them forever. Yoel Romero is one of those guys where it seems like, you know, obviously we all know how good he continues to look as a physical specimen well into his 40s. But also every time I realize that Yoel Romero still has fewer than 20 professional fights, I'm amazed because it feels like Yuel Romero has been a thing at or near the top of the UFC for a long ass time. Yeah. He's 13 and five as a pro. How is that even possible? I feel like I have personally watched more than 20 Yuel Romero fights. And yet I realize now that that cannot be. It's insane. Like his fight against Tim Kennedy. I think we all remember that controversial fight. Like, that was in 2014, and still the guy still, like, feels like he's lived several lifetimes since then. Still has only had 18 pro fights. That just blows my fucking mind. I mean, both Yoel Romero and Phil Davis at this point feel like they have been at it 
since we were all kids. Phil Davis, speaking of living multiple lives, has been in Bellator for six years at this point. Uh, and is still a guy, despite his most recent loss to Vadim Nemkov, uh, who was doing it at kind of a high level, you know, like, uh, his entire Bellator career, he has only lost to Vadim Nemkov twice and once to Ryan Bader, uh, and everybody else he has kind of taken out. So it's not as though you are going to get an easy fight. If you are Yoel Romero out there this weekend against Phil Davis, uh, despite the fact that he is 36 years old. And again, as at this point, a long career and a guy who has in some ways been under the radar, uh, recently uh but you know he's a guy who can still go and we we're gonna find out i think one way or another the fitness of yoel romero uh when he gets out there with phil davis because i think he's a guy who can still test you yeah it's also since it's fresh in my mind yoel romero's incredibly lackluster performance against israel adesanya that really boring title fight in which yoel romero decided to stand there and do as little as possible in order to entice israel adesanya to come close enough so that he could punch him in the face. And then you're going to go in there and fight Phil Davis, a guy who at times has been, let's say, tactical in his approach. I worry that this has the makings of an incredibly boring fight. Hmm. Now, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I hope we get to see, you know, the crazy UL Romero, the version that can fuck around and give you give away a round and a half and then just rocket power himself up out of nowhere and knee in the face or something like that and end it all at once. Like, I hope we get to be reminded that that Yoel Romero is still out there. Cause I feel like the way we are looking at him right now, as he lost three straight, including that, that title fight in the UFC, it was a stinker of a fight. It's been a while. He shows up in Bellator after having some trouble, even just getting through the medicals, which we've previously talked about are usually not an issue. And here's an opportunity for him to either go, hey, remember how you used to get excited about the UL Romero kind of vibe I brought? I still can bring it, man, especially against the quality of competition that Bellator has to offer. Or it could be the kind of fight where we go, well, shit, at least we'll always have the glory days for UL. Yeah, that's what I would like to see, because it does feel like it's been ages since we have seen Yoel Romero be Yoel Romero. I mean, that Israel Adesanya fight was so weird that like just didn't seem like a Yoel Romero-style performance. And then, like you said, uh, I believe there was an issue with his eye, which was why he was removed from the Anthony Johnson fight that he was originally scheduled for in Bellator. But like it's honestly been probably since that Paulo Costa fight. Uh, back in 2019, that one was pretty crazy. And maybe the last time we have seen a performance from Yoel Romero that felt like a Yoel Romero performance. So uh, that would, that'll be something I'm interested to see this weekend against Phil Davis, whether or not he can still be out there doing all that Yoel Romero stuff, still seeing if he can still be uh, the terrifying man who hugged and kissed Luke Rockhold at the end of their fight, uh, or if he is just a different product now, if he is just a different athlete and a different animal. Uh, and I feel like despite the fact that you could have us, us, uh, like a snore fest in this fight, Phil Davis is not a bad opponent to, uh, to test those things out because like I said, he's not going to be a pushover for Yoel Romero. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see it, man. I'm interested to see what happens there. Yeah, uh, not a whole lot else on this card, though, especially just if you're looking at getting your combat sports fix this weekend between Bellator and the UFC, you're kind of just looking at volume. Yeah, not not anything that really jumps out at you. I mean, you got an even Gracie on this card, so that's something. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you got 
Bellator over there on Showtime, UFC over on ESPN Plus, and you're just... The good news is you can get two streaming windows open on the old laptop and maybe go back and forth when one is feeding you nothing but filler bullshit. Yeah. I mean, if we put Vitor Belfort in charge of this thing and he was out here making fights regardless of who people have promotional contracts with (laughs) and we could make one card out of this uh, UFC event and this Bellator event, then we might be in business. Then we might have a a good fight night on our hands. But uh, as is, yeah, you're going to have to be multitasking a little bit to see all the stuff that that uh, is going to be worthwhile to see. Let's go ahead and do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. What is your Just Saying Stuff this week? Well, Chad, speaking of this Bellator card, I took a gander at the prelims. Now, you know how Bellator will do on some of these prelim events, you know, where especially we're, we're going down at the home base, the SAP Center in San Jose for this one. Right in Scotty Cox's backyard, a lot of maybe local talent that he knows that he can throw up on this fight card. You look at the prelims, you see a lot of 0-0 versus 0-0, 0-0 versus 1-1, 0-2 versus 1-0. There's a lot of that on this prelim card. But one of those people I'm looking at on the prelims, fella making his pro debut after a 2-2 amateur career, guy by the name... Of Socrates Hernandez. Okay. Now I click on Socrates Hernandez in the Tapology page. Go to his Tapology profile, uh, in which there's a picture of him looking stoned as hell, <laughs> with nice little goatee doing the fist up pose, and uh, gonna make his pro debut against Pedro Juarez at Bellator 266. Jed, I'm just saying. Man, I hope this guy is a good fighter and becomes a thing because already I like everything about Socrates Hernandez. Okay, yeah, for I'm one thing. To, uh, oh yeah, wow, he does look stoned in that picture. I just checked a, it out for a, myself. Five foot eleven inch featherweight, according to Tapology. He, his name is Socrates for crying out loud, and looks like a guy who you know. I I, I feel like if you go to Socrates's house after training, you know what you're gonna do. We're going to smoke up and we're going to play Xbox, bro. That's that's a good time as far as I'm concerned. Socrates Hernandez, me knowing nothing else about him. I hope this guy turns out to be a thing because I am into it, man. I'm just saying. It looks like his uh, Instagram handle is Socky Bombs MMA. Okay. See, got, it's not getting any worse. He's got 10 total posts. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, 284 followers, and in at least one of these pictures, he once again looks incredibly stoned. So, uh, MMA uh, pro MMA fighter BJJ brown belt Socrates Hernandez got a, a nice mop of hair and just seems just seems like the kind of guy I can get behind. Uh, let's does. let's go Socrates, <laughs> put it on this fool. Ben, you will not be surprised to learn that I have a martial art focused on the uh the grand tradition of cheating mm-hmm. in the combat sports named after me dandasso always cheat this shit that houston alexander pulled over there in bkfc even set me back a little bit when i saw this <laughs> this man goes out there knocks out opponent wes combs in Houston Alexander's bare knuckle boxing debut. I'm sure most of the people listening have seen the highlight on the internet. If you have not, you should check it out. 
just strokes this dude, knocks him unconscious, and then when he is down on the mat, knocked out, Houston Alexander gets one more shot in, almost like a Dan Henderson on Michael Bisping light kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, really, you know, kind of arresting to see this happen in a bare knuckle boxing match, I guess. This week, I'm just saying, to quote our guy Dana White, that's fucking illegal. <laughs> but also, I'm just saying, they didn't do anything about it, man. Like, BKFC apparently, as far as I know, uh, elicited zero penalty for this. Houston Alexander still gets the win. He's still your victor here. So I guess I'm just saying, why the fuck not, man? Like, if you're just going to get away with it, go for it. Go for it. I feel like if I were the fighter or his coaches, I I might take issue with that. <laughs> you think? Yeah, I might as well. I might also take issue. With I'd be that. like, I don't I don't want to be a jerk about it, but you can't do that. That's not allowed. That's fucking illegal. Just saying. Just saying. All right, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Just a reminder, we will be over at the Patreon page all week. Wednesday live chat, Thursday movie club, Friday power hour leading into this Saturday night where you got dueling events from the UFC and Bellator. And then again, we're back here for the proper a week from today on Monday and a whole additional week of Patreon content. We, we keep it live over there all the time. Come join us. Three easy tiers of patronage. As for right now, though, thanks for listening. We are done. We are through. We are out. And when you say that you have a martial art named after you, mm-hmm. I it's feel a like tribute to me. It's a tribute. It's more accurate to say you named it after yourself. Tribute. You you came up with it. You named it. I continue to be touched and amazed at the tribute. I don't deserve it, frankly. But who am I to say? You know. I just like it's for the people to decide. Really. You are the one who said, though. Just tickled, honored. You're the only one. The only person who said it was you. I don't know. I don't know that we have a. Well, you could prove that at this point. <laughs>